Our gospel reading this morning comes to us from Matthew 25. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Jesus said, It is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You all can have a seat. Oh, the Anglicans giggle every time the texts are really hard, and we all know what's coming. We're going to be called by the liturgy to give thanks for something that's just, let's be real, hard. Hard to hear, hard to know what to do with, hard to be thankful for. And so, um, let's pray, yeah, uh, and ask for the Lord's uh, mercy and, and guidance. Uh, God, we do. We invite you um, yet again, Holy Spirit. We um, say with our whole hearts, Lord, um, come and lead us into what is true. Help us, Lord, to, by a strength and wisdom that we do not possess in and of ourselves, Lord, put our lives in front of you, God, and hope to really see things as they are. And that's this morning, Lord, our prayer, is that um, we want you to lead us, Jesus, not just into new things and exciting things, Lord, but into health, into truth. And sometimes, Lord, that's really scary and hard. And so have mercy. Be here with us. 
Help us, Lord, to see you and hear you. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, the texts are getting intense, uh, a little bit darker, a little bit harder sort of um, as the time goes. If you were here last week and I was not, I had to miss um, being here with you all uh, last Sunday. Uh, Jamie Stallings, who's um, now my favorite deacon, sorry, Steve, um, but now he's my favorite because uh, we called him at 6.30 a.m. to stand here and have to try to give a sermon <laughs> uh, when we've been preaching and teaching about the Holy Spirit. And so um, Jamie did it like a champ, and I love him, and I was really bummed because um, we've been going through this sort of series, thinking together about what it means actually when we say we want to be led by the Holy Spirit, like what are we actually talking about? What does that really mean? And um, last week, we were supposed to think together about, um, like, anointing and what it means to be like, you know, everybody has the Holy Spirit. We've all received it. If you're a believer and follower of Jesus, you know you have the Spirit. But then there's, like, this other thing, and what is that all about? Um, is there another thing? And so for those of you maybe who have been making space or trying to make space for the studies that are happening, um, please do this week because we're going to consider that together. What, is it, what does that mean? Uh, and then today um, was confronted by a whole nother set of texts, and um, they're no less difficult or challenging, arguably even more so than they were going to be last week. And that's not by accident. Like this sort of um, darkening of the lectionary and darkening of the scripture um, is by design, because we are now entering into looking at the end of the liturgical year. Christ the King Sunday is next Sunday. That's the end of the year. So our new year starts not in January, but in December with the coming of Advent. And so an Advent will ring in a new year. And so the lectionary is walking us now towards the end of the year, and it always aligns with, like, the change of the seasons. So it's, like, quite literally as the days are getting darker and the day shorter and the night longer, um, it's like the lectionary and the texts also darken. And so we all kind of feel this, like, uh, invitation, I hope, to confront the darkness, to worship, like, in it and through it. This is our wintering season in the church. We'll begin now looking towards Easter, but for the next several months from now through the end of Lent and to the beginning of Easter, we will be called by the church to confront darkness, to deal with the reality of the brokenness of things, both within and without. It's not for the faint of heart, actually. I have always really appreciated about this gospel and this Jesus and also, I think, this tradition um, at a time when, you know, just like, man, we really kind of want to forget it all, put it over here and just sing Jingle Bells or listen to Mariah Carey, you know, and put yourself in a different place. And then, you know, the church is going to call you here, gather you into sacred places, sacred space and say, just ignoring it doesn't make it go away. You can and you must confront things as they are. God can really only ever operate within reality, y'all. That's the thing. He is sort of unapologetically real. And so for us to follow the Lord means that we at times um, have to follow him into hard things. And it's not without the call to be hopeful. It's not without the call to rejoice. Actually, that's the real beauty of Advent is that it's both things. We're going to light candles and sing songs. We're going to like rejoice in the promise of the coming of Jesus. All those things are true. And right alongside it, the acknowledgement that things are not as they should be, that we hurt and the world hurts, 
And so we have to, like, if we're going to look towards the coming of God, we have to get ready for that. We have to prepare. That's Advent. And so these texts are similarly calling out the reality of brokenness. And it starts with Zephaniah, who was a minor prophet who prophesied a contemporary of Jeremiah, so in the days leading up to the exile. And then we go all the way into Thessalonians, the New Testament. You've got Paul again talking about this coming of the day of the Lord, a day which, you know, you want to be marked by rejoicing and celebrating and this, you know, all this hope and joy and kind of it is that, but also there's this other part about judgment and the necessity of that, the reality of that. And then Jesus picks up that same thread, that same tone in the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus gets, you know, pretty dark there at the end of Matthew's gospel. Um, All of the like good shepherd imagery, Jesus like coddling the lambs. He's become, you know, different towards the end of Matthew's gospel. And of course the same. But his message sharpens. He sounds more like a Zephaniah or an Amos that we read last week. Each of these texts having as their through line or the thing they share in common this concept of the day of the Lord, the coming of judgment, what it will be like for people who are both within the family of God and without it to experience like the coming of of God, his judgment. And um, so I want us to think about that together, particularly as we keep over here what it means to be led by the Spirit. Because as we're going to see in these texts, Yes, led by the Spirit means going into new life. Yes, being led by the Spirit means discovery, both about myself and good things in the world, new things to do, all that good, hopeful. It also necessarily must mean, as we'll see today, being led by the Spirit into repentance and conviction, the confrontation of reality with things as they are. So it starts with this day of the Lord promise in Zephaniah which in the Jewish imagination holds a really important place, this idea of the day of the Lord, a promise. Uh, The original day, of course, being the Exodus moment. The day of the Lord held such an important place for them because the Exodus moment was such an important sort of paradigm for how they understood who they were and thought about the world. On that day, the day of the Exodus, it was two things that happened. There was a judgment that occurred, In that case, a judgment against Israel's enemies, Egypt specifically, and its politics and its gods. There was the judgment, and then there was also a deliverance. So when we think about the day of the Lord, what it means for God to like come in and do a thing, it has always meant both of those things at the same time. An act of judgment, setting to rights, and deliverance. And a person cannot, therefore, the implication being to be delivered is necessarily to go through some kind of experience of a judgment, of a setting things to rights. Judgment's a hard word for us culturally, because we don't like its connotations, and our imagination is pretty limited. But you need to know that for the ancient Israelites, and then, of course, for the early church, the promise and the hope of God's judgment um, was necessary. (laughs) It was, in fact, hopeful, because the reason that we need judgment is because we need a God who can and desires to set the world to rights. Things actually are not as they should be. I am not as I should be, and we are not as we should be. And we need a God who can call us to something. One of my favorite lines in the Bible, and I was so bummed, I was like kicking the bed sheets last week, because we read from Amos, which happens like once a year in the church calendar, and I missed it. Um, but th- this is the entire book of Amos. 
because there's this really interesting shift that happens. The day of the Lord being associated primarily with something that would happen to Israel's enemies. That was the assumption. Just like God did to the Egyptians, he's coming for all y'all on the day of the Lord. And then you get to the minor prophets and Amos, and he stands up and he is like, mm, he coming. I don't know that he's just coming for them, though. What if he comes for us? What if the day of the Lord is for us? And what will that mean for Israel? Amos says, I've set a plumb line in the midst of my people. Uh, Amos 7, I have a plumb line tattooed on my calf. Um, I love this passage and this prophet so much because of the hope of judgment. The reason that it can be hopeful is because there is a plumb line, y'all. There is a right. There is a, such a thing as justice. There is love in this world, and God holds it in his heart. And the gift of the gospel is that God's kingdom, who he is, his rule and reign, is trying to break in and push into all of our sin to set a plumb line. That's who Jesus is and was. He's how I know what is right, Lord. Not just for you, but for me. So the day of the Lord not just for Israel's enemies, but also now for God's own people, which is a theme that will be taken up in the New Testament by Jesus himself. When Jesus is his most prophetic, his most like apocalyptic sounding, into the worldy, he's talking to people not outside of the people of Israel, not people outside of the faith. He doesn't go into Samaria to issue these parables. His most stinging indictments Critiques and criticisms, challenges, were aimed directly at the people of Israel, its leaders, Pharisees. The day of the Lord, he's entrusted you with things, and he's coming. What will he find? What have you done with your talents? Where are they? Here's the thing about being a Pharisee. I don't know when you think of what that means, um, what it calls to mind for you. Um, it can mean arguably maybe a number of things. But here's what really gets me about it and why I think it's like such a timely thing to consider for us here and now is that there is, y'all, a human instinct to see everybody else's shortcomings and sin more clearly than we are able to see our own and to sort of assume that we kind of already get and know what is right and what God is doing. That was the Pharisees. It wasn't that they rejected Jesus because they were um, pagans, you know, or like confused in that way. It was actually their understanding of who God is that kept them from receiving Jesus. And that is scary. To think and to assume that you know who God is and how he operates to the extent that your heart could be hardened to not recognize him if he were standing in front of you, trying to teach you or tell you something new, to challenge you. To be a Pharisee is to be someone who has lost an instinct and an appetite for self-examination. So if we are going to talk seriously at all about being led by the Spirit, it must necessarily include a desire, not just a willingness, but a hope that the Spirit would lead us like, as Ephaniah says, 
with a lamp going through Israel, all of Jerusalem looking for what he might find. The psalmist says, seek me and search me. Know me, Lord. Test my anxious thoughts and lead me in the way everlasting. Because the desire and the hope has to be that I would be where I'm meant to be. Where God is. Holding myself up against the plumb line. And that he always reserves the right to challenge me. That I can grow. And the question is, like, can I? Would I? If he was in front of me, inviting me to do it. Or would I be so sure about how God works and where God works and through whom God works that I wouldn't be paying attention? I wouldn't be open. This is where it connects to the Holy Spirit for me. Because Jesus says in the New Testament that when the Holy Spirit comes, one of the things he will do is convict the world with respect to sin. Good news, the Comforter is coming. And part of his comfort... Part of his advocacy for you is to convict with respect to sin. That that actually is the gift and mercy and grace of God to call you back into alignment. Because God's vision, who he is, what he hopes for the world, who he's called me to be, is actually better. Or conviction cannot be good news. It's the reason that condemnation is such a categorically different thing and shame never, ever works. Because if you only have a vision for what is wrong with you, what you have not done, if that is the thing that you can see the most clearly, it will never lead you into repentance. It will only result in condemnation and shame for you. It was the thing, and I really loved the church that I grew up in so much, and it was well-intended. So much of our misses is just that, the same way I miss. We just miss it sometimes. But we had a really clear vision about what the no's were, the things we ought not to do, about the hell that we needed to escape, but understood so precious little about the heaven that we were making our way towards. Do you know what I mean? I guess angels and ah, streets of gold and a mansion maybe, or whatever it was for you. Or God's going to come and he's going to judge us with our sin and we're all really clear about what that sin would be. But what is the world that God hopes for? Why is that sin such a problem? What we have to have always before us is a vision of who Jesus is and the world that God intends to redeem. The kingdom he's trying to bring. Or it's never going to result in real repentance for us. An example being Zacchaeus. There are many of them. But, you know, the thing that, like, actually motivated Zacchaeus to give all the money back and change his life was not how ashamed he felt sitting next to Jesus. I actually don't think that Jesus went through a laundry list of all the debts that Zacchaeus owed, all the sins that he had committed. Ah, that wasn't the approach. Jesus went to lunch at Zacchaeus' house. He associated with him. He sat alongside him. And Zacchaeus, therefore, caught a vision of humanity, a way to love, a kind of hope that inspired him to want to leave all the rest of that behind, to count it all as loss, as Paul would say. This is all rubbish. Why am I stealing people's money? What is money compared to that? Why would I lie? 
If the truth will make you into that kind of a person, if the truth will heal the world, then why would I lie? That kind of repentance changes us. It inspires, it motivates, it calls us forward. The rest of it just shuts everything down, leads to death. It's condemnation. So when Jesus tells this parable, what he's saying is when you receive the Holy Spirit, he's saying a lot of things, but we're out of time, so I'm going to say it this way. When you receive the Holy Spirit, it is as if God took from his good world, the kingdom of heaven, his vision of life, and he took from that world and he implanted a piece of that world in you, a deposit, the New Testament calls it. You've been given a piece of that so that you would long for it, so that you would bring it to bear. And when this owner comes home after being away and finds that people have taken their talents, the little bits of what they've received, the question is, why did you do with it? And this guy, the one with one talent, he just dug a hole and put it in the ground because he had a clearer vision of what was wrong, of the master. You're harsh. You reap where you don't sow. I'm afraid of you. And so I'm going to put this in the ground. doesn't lead to flourishing. More life requires an accurate vision of who God is, his heart, who Jesus is. That's why we do justice. That's why they're so inextricably linked. If we're going to be serious-minded about spiritual formation, and I hope to God we are, but it better mean something more for you than just praying the prayer of examine. Because we can pray the prayer of examine until Jesus comes, and if we don't get out and love our, num our neighbors, he's going to come here and be like, I guess you just dug a hole then and put it right in the ground. What did you do with it? Pray your prayers of examine. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and lead you. But also, y'all, out. Because we have good news to share. For our neighbors, we have love to give, hope to give, and people need those things. So this morning, we've made space for the next few minutes, kind of in lieu of our prayers of the people, to have um, our brother Khaled come. Um, and we're going to spend time hearing Khaled's story. Because I actually do believe that one of the best ways to inspire us as we're being led by the Spirit is to hear stories of how he's been at work in the world, not just in my own life, but how he is actually moving, not just in Northwest Arkansas, but how he is building the kingdom, working and active all over the world and here. And that we're all connected, that we belong to each other. So rather than spending time inviting you to like reflect on yourself and your own sin, and there needs to be space for that, I want us to hear stories of what God has done, what God is doing and in light of the beauty of what God has done and who he is and what he's doing, we can just like shed our sin. Yeah, just let go of it so that we can be a part of something better. Um, so, Holly, you come. Isaiah, you come. Um, and we're going to make space now to hear from our brother. <laughs> 